Are you gambling your life for Jesus? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Maybe you haven't thought of it this way, but everyone is betting his or her life on something. No one gets to sit out this hand. We're all staking our time and efforts on what we believe will be our best bet. We can risk it on the passing pleasures of this life or on the promises of God. There's a man in the New Testament who made the better bet. He personifies the final point in Jim's People of God series, that the people of God are on mission. The Apostle Paul had been God's instrument to establish a church in a town called Philippi. It had been an interesting beginning. It was the first Christian church planted in the large province of Macedonia. Now, about a decade plus later, Paul is in Rome in prison. And he is sending one of the members of the church at Philippi back home. And that's one of the reasons why this little letter was written. So he's sending this man we're going to meet this morning, sending him back home to his home church at Philippi. And in the process, he says some amazing things about that man, about why he came to Rome in the first place, and about the very special qualities of this church in Philippi. Note those as we read the passage. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. But you're a messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Jump over to chapter 4, please. Start reading verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, 4.10, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, now that's where Paul went when he left Philippi, got chased out of Philippi, and he went to Thessalonica. 
even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Father, for the privilege I've had these years of knowing folks like Epaphroditus, folks who, who got it right, who understood in their soul and spirit what really matters in this life, what really is important to you. And they've been willing to do what this dear servant of yours 2,000 years ago did. Thank you for the privilege of being part of a church like the Philippian church, where folks look out and up, look out to the needs of other believers, other mission points, look out with concern and prayer upon the fields that are white into harvest, and then are willing to do the hallmark thing, to send the very best. And this people, Father, have for over three decades marked their history and earned their reputation among other churches as being a people who love and who give. Thank you for this passage of Scripture that excites our hearts and encourages us to be even better givers and deeper lovers. And take our lives and our gifts and multiply them for your kingdom and glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Epaphroditus, say that. One more time. Now, because you're going to forget it, put it on your fingers. Epaphroditus. Go ahead. Five syllables. Do it again. Now, the only time he's mentioned in Scripture are in these two verses, these two passages we've read. He's a friend of Paul's. That's very clear. And he is a highly commended friend of Paul. He did something that was very spectacular. And obviously, it wasn't something that he did uh, just kind of on the spur of the moment. It was something that flowed out of the strategy of his life. I have a theory this morning, and let me give it right up front. Now, this is theory. This is pure custard. Got it? Pure custard. This is dessert. This is not exegesis. This is an opinion. I think that Epaphroditus was probably the jailer. Remember the story, how the church began in Philippi? Remember? Jews had an insurrection. Paul and Silas were arrested, beaten, thrown in the depths of the, of the, of the dungeon in the, in the uh, jail there at Philippi. 
And the jailer was told, don't you let those guys out on penalty of your life. At midnight, Paul and Silas were singing and praising God for the privilege they had of being beaten for the cause of the Lord Jesus. Now there's an interesting twist. Great earthquake. All the doors, all the chains in the prison were suddenly open. The jailer wakes up, runs out, realizes that the prisoners have probably all escaped, draws his sword and is about to take his life, when out of the darkness comes a voice, Sir, do thyself no harm. We are all here. I think it was Epaphroditus that raced over and grabbed a torch and goes trembling into the midst of the ruins of his jail, and there stands Paul and Silas and all the prisoners free, but not escaping. And Epaphroditus knows that this is pretty spectacular stuff. Sirs, he said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to experience some of this incredible thing? This thing that causes you to sing at midnight with your backs beaten and bloody and torn. This restraint that enables you to keep all these prisoners still prisoners. What is this and how can I experience that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, Paul answered. Silas smiled and said, Amen. The dear jailer took them into his house that night, washed their wounds, apologized many times over for this miscarriage of justice. Paul and Silas shared with the whole family. The whole family came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as the morning light is coming up, they're baptizing the members of the family, identifying them publicly as members of the household of God. Wow. What an incredible experience. Now, the reason I think Epaphroditus is the jailer is because Jesus gave us this principle. Here's what he said. Jesus said, he that is forgiven much, loves much. Loves much. What did God's love change in your life? What would your experience be this morning if you were not experiencing God's grace and forgiveness. Out of what hole did God lift you? From what miry pit did he take you and set your feet on the solid rock? Are you grateful this morning? Sad to say, so many of us are so selfish in our lives. We really believe God got a bargain when he saved me. God, you're, you're, you're lucky to have me on your team. No, he's not lucky to have you on his team. You are infinitely blessed that in grace and mercy, he made you a member of his family. Now, there's an important statement about Epaphroditus that explains everything else we see about him in this passage. It's chapter 2, verse 30. Look at it again. Verse 30, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, my translation says, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service. That word that's translated 
not regarding his life is a very picturesque word. Let me be a teacher for a moment this morning. That particular word would best be paraphrased by saying he gambled his life. That particular word in the papyrus, a papyri were, were, were letters uh, of the first century. Listen to this. The word has connotations of gambling or playing dice by which high sums were often at stake. The word was used in the papyri of someone who in the interest of friendship would expose himself to dangers as an advocate in legal strife by taking the case all the way up to the emperor's risky business. The word was later used of merchants who, for the sake of gain, exposed themselves to death. The word was used of a fighter or a gladiator who, in the arena, exposed himself to dangers in the hope of gaining riches and freedom. In post-apostolic times, there were a group of people who risked their lives by nursing the sick and burying the dead. And they were called by this term. Modern television gives us the chance to watch fools, well, not fools, watch peoples do foolish things. They call it extreme sports. Dave Letterman had one of those extreme sportists, a young woman who's the best in her skill in the world. And they had built a special ramp. Maybe some of you saw it. I heard about it after the fact. But they had built a ramp outside the, outside the building there, and they had all kinds of snow and slush. And, and she was going to do this, this thing that she does. It's a very risky sport. Something went very wrong. And she got off the end of it and fell. I forget how many stories to the pavement below. About four days later, four nights later, she's going to be the guest on the show, and they're going to discuss this. So I wanted to see this. I wanted to see who this person was and, and hear the conversation. And one of the questions that Dave Letterman asked this dear lady was, in your sport, it's very risky, very dangerous. Have you been injured before? Oh, oh, oh she says. And she started out, I've had five concussions. I've broken my neck twice. This shoulder's been replaced three times. I got a knee. I mean, she went down this whole litany of things. She exposes herself to real risk in this sport. Why do you do it? For the thrill and for the money. Don't you think it a little strange that we are so fascinated by a sport that people will pay hundreds of dollars a ticket to go sit in a stadium, look through binoculars, and watch 44 men down there beat each other into a pulp. The sport is so dangerous that they actually, they actually have a hospital built in under the bleachers. Think about that. We often go to the Coliseum and we think these guys were a bunch of idiots over here, you know, out there fighting lines and all that. Well, why do these, why do 44 athletes train for years, compete intensely for the opportunity to go out and bash each other's heads open? 
Many of them, 20 years after they retire, can't walk. Their backs are all stoved up. Some of them, like, like can't even get out of bed without much medication. Why would a man go into a ring and take such punishment over and over and over that today he may not even know his name? Why would he do that? Why would he gamble his life that way? Why would the pro athlete put his life on the line, his health in jeopardy, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? Why do they do that? Because they believe that the gain is greater than the pain. That's the key to Epaphroditus' life. The story is told of missionaries in Canada years ago who were seeking to reach an Indian tribe, a tribe of Native Americans. And this chief was struggling with this issue of how he would respond to the gospel. After long conversations and many, many weeks, it began to dawn upon him that Jesus Christ had saved him and that he ought to respond appropriately. So at the close of one of the meetings, the story goes, he brought his three wives <laughs> and all their children and marched them up to the front of the church as an offering to God. The missionary swallowed hard and said, nope, that's not the right offering. Chief thought for a bit, walked over, took the offering plate, put the offering plate on the ground, sent his wives back, and stepped into the offering plate himself. Now, the missionary said, you've got it. That's what Epaphroditus did. Epaphroditus put himself in the offering plate. He took his life and said, whatever I have, whatever abilities I have, I owe to God. And out of loving, out of loving response to God's grace and love to me here, I'm going to gamble my life. So he took a risk, took a long journey, and apparently got sick in the process. And Paul himself says he almost died. Whether it's the rigors of the journey or the dangers he incurred or whether it was just his zeal, his, his relentless pursuit of helping Paul in every way he could, something, something cost him dearly. But you see, he had already decided that he'd take that risk. So... What am I gambling my life about? All of us are. No, you can't keep your life. Try as you can. Can't keep it. But you can invest it wisely. Epaphroditus was a guy who said, I want to give my life to God. And I'm willing to push the edge, to do the unexpected, to take on risk and danger. I want my life to be an offering to the Lord. The second thing, and equally important, in chapter 4 we learned that Epaphroditus was the one who carried the knapsack over there in Philippi. He, he said to the folks, hey, look, I'm going to go over and seek Paul. Or maybe they were the ones that said, hey, look, we ought to send something to Paul. He's over in the prison. Uh, so 
You know, Grandma Moses, she knitted him a sweater because it's cold over there in that prison. A couple of teenagers got together and found them some, some ducks and took some feathers and made some quills because Paul's known to write letters. Some dear wife went to the store and in exchange for her egg money, she got some ink. Some farmer killed a sheep and took the hide and made a piece of paper, something Paul could write on. Some boy, some girl cooked some cookies. What, whatever else they did, the church there at Philippi, anticipating Paul's needs, put this love gift together. Paphrodite put it all in his knapsack, and he made the journey all the way over to Rome. And Paul says, I want to tell you folks, when I opened that knapsack, my heart was just thrilled. I abound. Everything that I could have needed, you anticipated. And I want to thank you. I want you to know that my thanks does not so much rise out of my personal gain. It's not the gift. My gratitude rises out of the understanding that your gift to me was a gift to God. And that God is going to pay you rich dividends for your investment in his ministry in my life. See the connection? Lord, make us a people on mission, praying, giving, going, loving, serving, touching, looking upward to you for the supply of the need, looking outward to those who have needs. Remind us that we're not to be in manufacturing, we're to be in distribution. Remind us that you have already promised to give all that is needed that we might effectively represent you and your love to those around us. Encourage us this morning to become like Epaphroditus, to love much, to risk it all out of love for you and because of your love for those around us. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Just about everyone knows that question from Jesus, but not many have given it serious thought, it seems. Epaphroditus was an exception. He wasn't a reckless man. He cared about his life, but he cared more about the eternal lives of others. Jim's sermon is called, The People of God Are On Mission. It's the final message in our People of God series. You can own the one sermon on CD for a gift of $7 or more, or get the complete set of 17 CDs for an offering of $59 or more. Ordering details in just a moment, but I want to remind you that Right Start is totally listener-supported, which means that some committed folks did what was necessary to get this episode into your ears right now. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about making a difference while there's still time, then write down our mailing address, please. It's Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call us during business hours at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. 
And after that, stop by our website, rightstartradio.org. There you can donate securely, listen to radio shows as well as full sermons, download audio, even link to iTunes to subscribe to the daily podcast. Please give it a look and listen. We won't add to your junk mail load if you contact us. RightStartRadio.org. RightStartRadio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. We've talked for a while about the people of God and how they act differently. Our next series dwells on something they desperately need to know. Please join us at this time tomorrow for the next Right Start. Right Start.